0: Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell, and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels, and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change, and say, I am here. Today's hero lives by the motto, you cannot be what you do not see. We
1: are not going to exist quietly and we're also not going to try and fit into a system that is engineered to almost work against us.
0: They've carved a path in the world they want to see with sheer determination and self-funded their way through medical school after leaving home as a teenager. The
1: pain that comes with not having family is something that is never going to go away. They're
0: an emergency medicine doctor by profession and describe themselves as a queer, non-binary, trans, black, androgynous, intersectional feminist. Yeah, that's right.
1: I don't particularly care if you agree with my existence. What I'm invested in is helping you understand why not allowing me to exist is the problem.
0: They're also a kick-ass fashion icon with a penchant for suits and the odd pair of Balenciaga's babes. They've got serious swagger. It's the one, the only, my dear friend, Doctor Wrong. I've become really in tune recently. I'm really mm. only recently mm. to people's energy, but also my energy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah What yeah. I give off. Yeah. People would describe me as abrasive or brash because yeah. I had no Filter. spatial awareness yeah, yeah, of yeah, that yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. funny, isn't it, when you become really in tune with that and aware. Yeah. How much it also, you're not only aware of your energy, but how intolerant you are to bad energy.
1: (laughs) Do you struggle with that though? Because you've got no choice when you're in hospital. I think when I'm at work, it's really hard because I'm very much interested in safeguarding and how we keep people safe and our ability as healthcare workers to tease out when the tip of the iceberg is they're presenting complaint when actually there's a lot of other stuff that they mm. want to tell you. And this is going to sound really weird, but when I watch like Love Island, which I fucking love. I know you do. But the toxicity on that is to a point where that I'm like, oh, this is not enjoyable. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I would say like maybe 10 years ago, cause I've only watched Love Island. It's is my second series. Ten years ago, I would have been like, this is amazing. Oh, my God, he's a dickhead. Like you would have really got engaged yep. in the drama. But now I look at it and I'm like, oh, you're not OK. You're not OK. Yeah. You actually are able to label the problematic terms. And I think that just comes with age, to be honest. So a part of kind of, I guess, being a healthcare worker is trying to be empathetic, but don't become invested in somebody's trauma and allow their trauma to affect you. So that's about creating boundaries. Boundaries. And also like a lot of codependency work. Like if you read a lot of books on codependency and stuff, people who are codependent, and I definitely have had, and probably still have some codependent traits, betray their own emotions to absorb somebody else's and become affected by other people's emotions. And so there's noticing when somebody's toxic and then there's noticing it and separating yourself. Whereas back in the day, I would notice it and get really invested in someone yeah. else's problems and not paying any attention to my oh, own. I
0: save, save your complex. I've struggled with that a lot of the time yeah. with this toxicity around me. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, try yeah, and yeah. fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try yeah, yeah. And I'm going I'm gonna change. I'm yeah. gonna change. Actually, yeah. it's not my problem to fix. Yeah. And I think that it becomes you're actually just fanning the flame.
1: You are, and you can be empathetic and understand that somebody's in a bad place. Without trying to save them Because a lot of it Is just sitting and listening Right Do you know what I mean And not being like Oh well I'll, Do you know what I've got someone who can Oh why don't you stay with me Oh
0: yeah. i got a spare
1: room Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and then t- 10 months later you're like
0: Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I find it really fascinating. Anyone that has a career or a job that comes with a duty of care, mm, mm, because mm. I think that you are born into that role almost. <laughs> From the people that I've spoken to, and like I said to you before, my my partner is a nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is the eternal yeah nurse, the eternal yeah. caregiver. Yeah, he cannot stop himself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he's someone sniffing on an
1: aeroplane and he's yeah. trying to find
0: tissues.
1: It's hard that, and I guess the only time you learn is when you reach burnout and i think that i've reached burnout many many times before but i didn't know it was burnout until during the pandemic and the who actually classified burnout as a, a medical condition and then a lot of us in the nhs realized we were we were bloody burnt out and it's burnout usually comes with the caregiving profession because we spend so much again time caring for other people that we we actually don't learn how to create boundaries until we've reached like, you know, ground, like bottom, bottom, right. bottom, bottom. Do
0: you think that the, as a profession, though, it's conducive to that in that there isn't care within it? I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking my only mm. experience again is of mm. my boyfriend, who's mm. a nurse, who mm. that is the pattern is yeah. I'm going to care for everyone. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to do my absolute most. Because I have a genuine duty of care for people and I want to heal, I and
1: would then say yes com-
0: you get to a place where you're absolutely broken, yeah, but there doesn't seem to be an infrastructure in place
1: well to there pick wouldn't you be because I think the NHS survives on the goodwill of the people that work within it, so many of us do hours that are not paid for, so many of us give so much into the NHS more than actually what we are paid to, that if everybody in the NHS said, do you know what, I'm going to do as much as needed and then stop, it would crumble. And that's how, for want of a better kind of system to use, the government are keeping the NHS going. They know that a lot of us work beyond the means that we should. We do a lot of unpaid work and we also give a lot because we are riddled with guilt when we're not, when we don't. Oof. I know it's a lot in it. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack there. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, I am always so
0: fascinated by people that do such selfless jobs, um, especially doctors, because you know not only are you emotionally invested, there's a real physicality to it. Mm. It's a real attack of the senses. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so why? Why, why am I a doctor? Why are you a doctor? It's
0: a massive...
1: <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I'm surprised you don't even know this. Like, I, I think everybody asks me that. And it's like, when I was 12, I, I, w- I remember watching ER. I think you know what ER is, isn't it? Oh, hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> watching it for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was watching it for women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and it was the first programme... That I watched, when I reflect on now, I realize it was multi-generational, it was diverse. It I think was one of the first medical programs to actually speak on HIV and poverty and intersectionality without using the word intersectionality, and had women who were role models and leaders, had men mm. and ethnic minorities who were role models and leaders, people with visible disabilities who were NHS staff, and it really tapped into the humanity. In people and the bare bones of what keeps us going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so obviously that was not what I realised at the age of 12. <laughs> but I remember watching and thinking, I'm going to be a doctor. Medicine yeah. must be like this. That's I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah, that's the world for me. Little did I know that medicine is not as diverse as that and it isn't ER, but that was the inspiration. I mean, we talk on this podcast to a lot
0: of people that <laughs> you know, have gone into something thinking things are going to be a certain mm, way, mm, much mm. like you're saying, but very often not. Yeah. Um, and they then have to carve out a very unique path, and unique yeah. lane in, yeah. on their terms. It's usually difficult. It's bumpy. So tell me about how you penetrated that industry, and and also didn't compromise on who you are.
1: I guess for me, um on reflection, because reflection is such a great <laughs> tool. In healing, when I look back at being a younger do- Ronx and a younger doctor, I always thought it was really, really hard. And I think the resilience that I have and had was definitely related from an upbringing that wasn't happy. So, most of us that are LGBTQI, regardless of the profession that we're in, have had struggle, have had yeah. trauma. And I think that's what makes us amazing. Like when you watch and I'm sorry I'm gonna deviate, when we watch RuPaul's Drag Race, for example, the people that really get to you are the folk that literally have come from nothing. Yeah. And the resilience that they have and the talent that comes out of it blows your mind. And individuality. Yeah, in because the individual struggle yeah. breeds are really yeah.
0: unique. Uh, lane that only they could walk in
1: exactly exactly and I always use like RuPaul's Drag Race uh, regardless of how big it's come and how commercial and how yeah whatever is that when you look at those individuals you see that in the beginning it's always hard but that struggle as you say breeds an individuality and an understanding of self which means that Whatever you go into, you make it your own. Yeah. And I guess with medicine, all I ever wanted to do was become a doctor. There was no ambition to be a consultant. There was no ambition essentially in the beginning to change people's lives and be like, oh, I'm gay. Look at me. You could be a gay doctor too. That came with time right? because in the beginning it was about survival. It was about making sure I became a doctor. And then when I became a doctor, I realised especially in meeting lots of young black and brown kids and LGBTQI people that there were not people like me in the profession. Luckily, I'm surrounded by loads of amazing people. I've got amazing chosen family and then you get an interest in like, who are LGBTQI people? Who are we? Where have we come from? Right. Who are the people that have existed before us? And then when you do that history and when you do that reading, which I think only really LGBTQI people do, because if you're cis and you're straight and you're white and maybe you're a man, everything's already fed you to you. You don't need
0: to. You can just look forward. Is that,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just
0: keep going exactly. because everything has already been paved. Is, exactly for you. The, system the system is system designed the formula yeah. is designed for you
1: exactly and when you've got intersections and I only ever learned that term I knew about the different things that make me up but I didn't know that privilege and oppression and labels all had this you know intermix and help us navigate society it's only then I was like who are the people like there must have been queer right. people and black people before me who are they and then that made me realise that, you know, because as a black person, you're taught at school about the slave trade, which, you know, is not black history. It's a part of history. And one could say it interrupted black history. Nevertheless, when you learn about all the other things that you're not taught about at school, you realise, oh, my God, like we are amazing humans. Yeah. And because we're amazing humans, you want everybody else to, to be part of that family. And that... That I think spurred me on is that we are not going to exist quietly and we're also not going to try and fit into a system that is engineered to almost work against us.
0: Do you find that you're driven by a need to disrupt? I mean, I, I and by disrupt, I don't mean. I know what you mean. I don't I know mean, you
1: mean me. that you walk into and go, shut you. up, yeah. you. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> be quiet. You put
0: that piece of machinery down. <laughs> I'm going to kick it. None of that. <laughs> but there is, I think, that especially with queerness, yeah, I think that there's a sort of real built-in need to disrupt.
1: And I think disruption can be
0: done in many ways.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And when Younger Ronks just was really angry with the system, really angry with everybody who didn't get me. Now I've turned that round and that's happened over time. It's if you're going to be angry with me, I'm not going to waste my energy trying to convince you to see my humanity but what I am going to do is build up those people that do get me and make family with the people that get me and us. And we are going to be a united front against your nonsense. Do you know what I mean? It's oh, not a I single love that. person. I love that. It, it can't be a single thing anymore. It has to be collection, collectives, community, all of us. And so
0: what, what are those components then that have taken you from that person that would engage with that mm. to where you are now? Because it is... A, it's a process. It, oh I know God, it is for me. Yeah. I, I much the same was yeah. just chaotic, manic, yeah. angry, yeah. reactive. Yeah, yeah, reactive yeah. to everything. Yeah. And that's what people that were attacking me wanted. They absolutely. want a reaction.
1: Absolutely. So, how do you get to this place? I definitely say it can't be rushed. It's absolutely time, environment, and making lots of mistakes. So I, w- in the beginning, I would say it's friends. Uh, I mean, it's always friends, but in the beginning, it was friends who would allow me to be angry, but also would give me space to understand why I'm angry and to be less angry. There's therapy, Therapy definitely, for me, helped me understand the parts of me which were reacting. Mm. And then you think of, like, people like recently Patrice Collers, who founded with two other ladies, Black Lives Matter, um, has released a book on, I think it's like 10 or 12 steps to become an abolitionist. And in it, there's a couple of really practical ways in which you can manage the world around you in a way that you're not always tired and burnt out. And a couple of things in it, she says, respond and not react. And sometimes, like, obviously people all my life have been telling me that, but it sometimes takes someone who looks like you and has been through stuff to actually help you really see. Do you know what I mean? Because we spend our lives listening to folk, but are we actually hearing? So there's that. And in terms of responding, responding takes time. Responding means that you have to understand your emotions. You often have to have insight into the emotions of the person in front of you and understand what they are perceiving, even if it's not what you are necessarily showing. And then being the bigger person And making a decision to whether you are going to respond to them, whether they're worth your response and whether you can handle the fact that they might not um, respond in a way that you expect. There's another chapter on courageous conversations, which is essentially her saying that you have to make a decision to what you want the outcome. The outcome is in your hands. So do you want to start a courageous conversation with somebody? It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a politician, in which you are happy with being misunderstood, or do you not respond at all? Mm. And it's all we have we have the power is in us. The the system wants us, and I say system is lots of things. It can be people, it can be institution, it can be relatives, family, blah blah, whatever. Um, And sometimes want us to believe that we have no control over circumstance. In some respects, we don't. But in a lot of respects, we do. And once you realise that, you then can make a decision to whether you do respond if you want to react or you just walk away.
0: I've started doing this exercise. that Mm. Because the thing is, I still get angry. That's the thing. We still get angry, right? Absolutely. And the world that we live in right now, we're, I think if there's any level of activism involved in what you do, people want you to get angry. Yeah. And they want you to respond yeah. and react yeah. and get angry back. And so yeah. it becomes this. So I've started, when I'm really angry at something, I will write Amazing. that person. Yeah. Or it might not be the person. It might yeah. be a system. Or it might yeah. be a, I write a letter, I mm. seal it, and then I open it again in a week. Amazing. And just so I can sit with... Am I emotionally like in a place that isn't practical or isn't going to achieve something positive or mm. productive? Mm-hmm. And I found that that as an exercise has helped me so much in my business, yeah. in my day to day life, in things with friends. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm never, I don't want to stop being angry. Being yeah. angry means that I care, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I feel yeah. and I have empathy because yeah. th- there's a lot to be
1: angry about yeah, right now yeah. in the world, right? It's an emotion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's how I process it. I don't want to just be fighting all the time.
1: Absolutely. And we live in a, a, a capitalist society which feeds on anger and feeds on dysregulation of emotion. So it's okay to have these emotions. The thing is, is that often when we are deep in the pits of anger and And anger, which has actually given us a physiological response, because I can be angry, like I'm sitting here angry that we had 40 degrees yesterday because it's a real reflection of um, climate crisis, but I'm not physiologically moved by it. So at the moment, my heart's not beating. I'm not sweating. I'm not wanting to shout at somebody. On the other hand, I can be angry when somebody misgenders me or somebody's homophobic or transphobic and I do get a physiological response. When I have that physiological response, I'm dysregulated and nothing good comes out of that really. For me, nothing. Some people, yes, but for me, I end up shouting. I end up doing things which get people to actually focus on my anger rather than where the angers come from. So I have definitely learned to be in tune with my emotions and to know when I'm dysregulated in terms of I'm angry and a, nothing good is going to come out. I'm probably going to swear and be personal or when I'm angry and regulated because it's when I'm angry and regulated mm. that you get the best outcome from me. And it's not to say that either one is good or bad. It's just knowing when you're in either place.
0: You know, what's really amazing yeah. for me is that, yeah. that and it's, it is the beauty of social media, is <laughs> the energy that you put out in the world. <laughs> I am always drawn to your Instagram.
1: (laughs) Because it's verbal diary. No, because it's amazing.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of things happening in the world around Mm. race and gender and Mm. sexuality Mm -mm. and attacking the NHS. And there's all these things. And you have first-hand experience of all of them, right? (laughs) And yet somehow the energy that you put out in the world is so positive.
1: That's so interesting that you say that because I sometimes worry that I'm not positive enough because I think innately I am probably a depressed per- a high oh. functioning depressed depressed person like very very but that's not the energy yeah. that you put <laughs> out but do you know but I guess I guess when you're high functioning you often and I think this comes from trauma and struggle and a lot of LGBTQI folk we're like this we don't put out our vulnerabilities <laughs> because yes. it's something we have been taught doesn't get us anywhere or that our vulnerabilities have got us into situations where people have taken advantage of it and have uh, misused it as and misused our kindness. And so definitely my Insta is real talk. Like there's nothing about it that is contrived, but I also do know that a lot of my output comes from a place of really not wanting anyone to have to, and I know people will anyway, but have to, really go through some of the shit that we've been through. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like the young people today, and it's not me going, oh, they've got it so great. But when I was 24, 23, 22, I did not have the language which is around today. If I could identify as trans non-binary back then, I would have done a long time ago. If I had access to chest surgery back then, I would have done it a long time ago. But none of this was present for us. Yeah. And so for me now, I see it as... It is our duty when we can and where we can to make sure that people that identify within our umbrella have access to just the multiplicity of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I guess for me, Instagram's the only way that I can do it because I also don't have time to meet people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got jobs. I've got things to do.
0: Yes. Do you find power in your intersectionality, though?
1: Yes, definitely. When I was younger, I didn't. And that's because I didn't really know what intersectionality was. And I didn't realise how the different parts of me made me. So when I went to university, I joined the Black and African Caribbean Society, who really were not about my LGBTQI-ness. And I would join the LGBTQI Society and hang out with them, but they didn't understand how racism played a part within the LGBTQI community. So I felt really, like, fractured. There was so... And then I was very sporty, quite a a loud mouth. There were so many bits of me that just didn't all connect. And then, obviously, when Kimberly Crenshaw you know helped us understand that intersectionality is about our uh, privileges and oppressions and how they interact in the society in which we live that i realized that they didn't have to be mutually exclusive mm. that i could go to my my queer friends and they could still love me but i could also say how some of their behaviors were problematic and racist and how i could go to my black friends and be like listen All black lives matter. Therefore, you cannot speak on blackness if you're not speaking about LGBTQI black people, disabled black people, neurodiverse black people. And these are conversations that are not easy to have and it can cause you to feel like an outcast. And for a very long time, I just didn't feel like I belonged. But I had really amazing chosen family of all ethnicities and abilities and genders, which just took me as me. Do you know what I mean? And my yeah. best friend, my, it's actually my best friend's birthday today, Simone. You probably know Simone. She's not gay, but she um, she accepts me entirely. Entirely. Right. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure you have people in your life that yeah. are, are probably straight that just accept yeah. you for you. No question. And those people <laughs> you've got to keep close. Yeah.
0: They're so important. Completely. I found that, you know, talking about chaos and energy, that Mm. as I've got older as well, I have recognised who those people are. Mm -hmm. And I don't need numbers, volume. I just need those people that see the best in me, want the best for me, tell me the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Family, chosen family. It's powerful.
1: It's hard, though, because we live in this world which where productivity is almost is the is your value the more you do this the more you have of this like volume numbers seems to equate to worth you know the more like you you watch programs and it's like the more followers you have the more important you are you know and so it's really hard to unpack that unfortunately for us we come from a generation where actually likes numbers followers came later yeah. Do you know what I mean? We'd Thank just, God, can you imagine? Uh, I mean, I would not be a doctor today if I had Instagram when I was in medical school. I'd be on Love Island. Uh, words, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I wouldn't because yeah. I have too much body dysphoria yeah. to be on, my, on Love Island. But I would definitely be, a. I maybe wouldn't, I would be a doctor, but I think my priorities would be different. But even now, I still struggle sometimes with like, uh, you know, I see some of my uh, some of my peers or actually they're younger than me, but I guess they're peers yeah. who have l- like big family of friends and go out with their crews and people on holiday and stuff. And I sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I had a group like that. So I do definitely sometimes feel that. But then again, I just need to like I called Simone this morning and just have a like we literally had a five minute chat where we deviated into nonsense. And I was like that I just need five minutes of nonsense oh with the best, best stuff
0: comes from the and nonsense May, the
1: non the, non- the nonsense. you can get
0: down on the nonsense <laughs> yeah, level yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you I've got friends that actually we just talk in sort of pops and whistles yeah. like they're not even real words <laughs> it's
1: code isn't it it's code it's, code. it's something like, so it's freeing so about amazing. that like, I'm gonna meet Simone after this and when I'm with her like something could happen and we just like I can see her looking sideways at me and I'm looking at her. Don't need to say anything. Like yeah. that, that it that that non that non-verbal communication, the invisible thread that you have yeah. with your besties is invaluable. But you need to be constantly I feel like I need to be constantly reminded by that because I'm in a world where, especially with social media where people say, Oh, wrongs." you know, sometimes you post like 15 times a day. I'm like, bitch, there's no book. There's no rule book. So who cares? Who but cares? you know, there's there seems to be this like way of being and I'm like this is my I I always say to people I live by myself so if I've got something to say it's going to go on Instagram or I'm going to call my mate and that's that like you like it or love it or leave it like it's just it's just a platform for me (laughs) do you know what I mean (laughs) so how do you I mean you said
0: there you post a lot and I love the, the, the level of it can be, you know, Random. something really political yeah. here. Or you could be commenting on spaghetti. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes anywhere in between. But how you conduct yourself is, 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 is for me, I just love it on social media. <laughs> and I really have a, a problematic time on social yeah. media. And I like that you're not playing by those rules. No. So how have you used social media for
1: change, do you think? Do you know what? I never set out when I started with Facebook in university. I never, I just was like, great, this is a way to, to meet people and meet babes. Do you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being in medical school, I did sometimes feel a little bit disconnected from, you know, the people that are doing like, you know, political science and stuff where you get to talk and express things which I'm often thinking about. And I guess it's evolved with time. I've definitely realize that there is a lot of nonsense in terms of people have beliefs and ideas which are not true and for me I honestly just post like the last thing I posted on my way here was about vaginas and was about people like in the black and brown community using these balls that cis women put in their vaginas to clean their vaginas and then I was like this is definitely a black and brown thing. And I thought, let me just post about this nonsense because this is nonsense. Like, So I just posted it. And it's not necessarily to diss people. It's just to be like, clean your vulva, not your vagina. Don't put anything in your vagina. Just leave it alone. I'm
0: loving our chat. We're going <laughs> on. Once you touched on then myths, twisted narratives, yeah. dispelling. Yeah, yeah things that are not truthful yeah, and yeah. i think that that is the negative the flip side not only of social media but actually of mainstream media
1: yeah
0: i feel like that's something that is quite integral to you yeah. in that you speak out on those things i always worry about my nieces and nephews mm. thinking that that is the truth yeah 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 so i don't know i just feel that we're in a dangerous time right now where We live in the time of Piers Morgan. We live in the time of social media and fake news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you look to get to the source of dispelling the noise, the bollocks, the bullshit?
1: I think we are lucky that we are at an age where we've seen and experienced a lot. Do you know what I mean? And because I think if I was 22 now and some of the stuff, especially during COVID that came out in regards to vaccinations and blah, 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 I could easily believe it. And so I think the fortunate thing we have is lived experience. And what I try and do is use my lived experience to help people understand where I've got to. Because I'm not always right and people will correct me and I'm, I'm here for that, you know, and I make my mistakes and blah, 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 blah. But there has to be a level of understanding and being willing to understand why somebody feels the way they do, but also being able to use language, which doesn't necessarily cuss them out because when you cuss somebody out, you kind of lose them, but helps them understand, as with your audience, um, why what they're saying is either a lie, it's a mistruth, it's misinformation, And so people like Piers Morgan and all those other people which actually thrive on being controversial, once you understand that they're thriving on being controversial where clicks and likes and callers is how they get their revenue, you can kind of get less angry with them and actually be able to engage with them in a way which you know that you're not going to necessarily be able to change their mind. But what you can do is use a platform to get your opinion across. Because we live in a world where people want to live in binaries, where you're wrong or you're right, or you can change someone's mind or you can't change their mind. What we need to thrive more in is the process and the journey. And I guess for me, I'm always like, I don't particularly care if you agree with my existence what I'm invested in is helping you understand why not allowing me to exist is the problem. You're right. So that's how I deal with yeah. it. I try not to deal in absolutes now, which is not easy. Uh, yeah, I feel
0: very the same as that. And I think that the world is geared up to work in absolutes. absolute. absolute, absolute love, yeah. Love, hate, wrong, right, good, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that understanding everything in between is actually how we grow. Individually, we grow as a society.
1: It's a process. Everything is a process. And examples of this I use is, like I was always worried that if I were to disclose my sexuality and agender to black or brown elders, that they just wouldn't get it or they would reject me because my lived experience is of rejection when I am my true self. However, what I've realised is, When I am just me and when I am just working as a doctor or being on telly or existing as myself, a lot of the time people see your humanity and then I don't want to say tolerate because I don't think we should be tolerated. I think they accept your existence. And so I get amazing kids that are like, mummy, wrongs is they, them, actually. And the parents will be like, okay, okay, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't get it. <laughs> but admitting you don't get something is amazing. Right. Admitting that it's difficult is amazing because how often do we actually admit that something is hard? And then not saying no and actually letting the sentence they are they, them, you need to try harder, yeah. just exist is already progress. I'm not here to get necessarily, you know, people getting it straight away because I didn't get my existence straight away. Uh, l-
0: language, terminology, that in itself is, yeah. is growth. You have yeah. to, yeah. I feel that. And is growing. And is growing yeah. and forever changing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that I, as someone that's, you know, my industry has mm. been within mm, mm. lgbtq i plus mm. space mm. i've had to grow i've yeah. had to adapt and change mm. yeah. and and i think that there's no use mm. in being fearful yeah. of making those mistakes because if your intention yeah, exactly. is constantly yeah. in the good place to yeah. grow and to change and support yeah. Yeah, and support yeah, yeah. i think that that's because I think fear is absolutely debilitating and it stops you. Oh, fear it shuts is. you down. Fear,
1: I guess fear has purpose and has many amazing results, which I think has led to the survival of some people. But as we get older, and for me anyway, fear has become something that, especially if I'm dysregulated, doesn't allow me to move forward. Because I think of my ancestors, black and brown folk during slavery times, fear... And being dysregulated often was a survival technique to get away from the dangerous moment which could have ended people's lives or got them in unsafe moments. Where I am right now, I don't really navigate many unsafe moments. And when I say unsafe, I mean physically unsafe. I'm not often physically unsafe. I do perceive unsafety or unsafe moments a lot. And it's important for me not to go back into my kind of flight or fright moment and take a moment and realise what it is I'm perceiving. Because a lot of the time, the fear isn't necessarily there. And an example I would use for this is, if I have a partner who is very femme looking, if I'm out in a straight place, cis straight place, a fear I have is that cis white guys will challenge me to see if they can get my partner. That is something that people who are non-gender conforming and look that way often, you know, get, you know, the white cis guy who's like, oh, why are you Who's Who's the spoon? Who's the fork? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you get all that misogynistic nonsense. Back in the day, I always perceived that as I am going to get beaten up here. And so that fear has carried, you know, into my adulthood. What I had to do was get through therapy and understand that, a lot of the time it doesn't result in violence and that my response to that should just be to walk away because old ronks would be territorial and be like, that's my partner. What are you doing? Blah, 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 swear words. And that would create the violence because ultimately that person, that male, that cis white male expects Violence or expects me yes. to behave in a disruptive way because what they see is a black person, they see a black person who looks like a man, and they see a black person who looks like a man with potentially a very femme presenting person. So they, you know, that caveman instinct comes out and they expect that back. What disarms them is me just walking away and not even
0: giving up and enter-
1: not even entertaining yeah. this, which is hard. Because every part of me wants to show this person, yes. how dare you? I still struggle with that. Do you know that. what I mean? I still how still dare you attack my humanity and my existence in this way with your misogynistic, patriarchal nonsense? But actually, I'm like, I ain't going to change you today, so... I know. I struggle I'm, with yeah. that. And I. It's, it's funny that
0: we're talking about... Well, it's not There's nothing funny about it. No, but but yeah, it's, it's weird yeah. that we're talking about it because only recently I was down in Bristol where I'm from mm. and I was doing an event and... Mm. Um, I had my Bristol community around, mm. around me mm. and they are the most wonderful, yeah. diverse mix of people ever. And we were just all having the time of our lives. Mm. It's a sunny day, we were mm. outside. We're, do you know what? We're experiencing joy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Euphoria. And that
0: joy yeah. is so confusing to people when it doesn't look like how people, this cis white male and it's very aggressive dog came up to us. Mm. Now, they didn't go for me mm-hmm. because I think that I would have been too much of a challenge. And mm-hmm. So what they decided to do is they go, oh, I'm going to go for mm-hmm. my trans friend, mm-hmm. who is also black, mm-hmm. who is also very petite. Mm-hmm. I'm that Perfect. We're, mm-hmm. uh, you're mm-hmm. going to get it. Mm-hmm. Now, that... Some I saw red. Yeah, actually saw red, which is something I've really worked on. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. From where right. I'm from. Yeah, yeah. To not get to that point and that feeling Absolutely. of red being out of control. Yeah, but I couldn't stop because I realised that actually I can do it for myself. Mm-hmm. But when I see people mm-hmm. being, mm-hmm. you know
1: being attacked
0: mm-hmm. it just boils
1: my piss and it's hard because the response we have is being angry with the situation because it also triggers us and brings up times when that happened to us but also we want to be protective yeah. of our trans friends and I guess for me I still see red and it's hard because there's an element of you which wants to show like a physical united front. But then there's another part of you that's like, I I don't want to be beaten up. You know, we've worked too hard on our aesthetics to get it messed up by somebody. <laughs> um, we also don't want to draw attention to ourselves and we don't want to be arrested. And we don't want like people to misread the situation and say, oh, Dr. Ronk's fighting in the street. And so it's really hard finding, and like we say, what we've, as this draws into what we are talking about before, living in that middle bit where what do we do? And I guess it's very important to ask people who live with minoritized intersections, what would they like? Because everybody's different and every situation is different. And what did you do, interestingly? Well, I was about to tell you.
0: We all sang, share, believe, pointed and just danced. And they don't know what to do. After man. And I've never seen someone shit himself so much. We <laughs> went down that street we because, because we confused him. We live. You we take, live. You take a simple mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Baffle them. And they don't know what to do. What they, they do know is how to fight. What they do yeah. know is how to chastise yeah. and yeah. make people feel scared. Yeah. Yeah, And I left that situation going,
1: oh, yeah, but that's
0: Cher will always win. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and we will always win. Ama- ama- ama-
1: there's safety in numbers for real. There's yeah. safety in LGBTQI numbers. It's what do we do when it's just one or two of us? Right. Do you know what I mean? And as we know, uh, just to deviate to like Sarah Everard, the white girl that was murdered by a police officer, sometimes the people who we look to for safety aren't safe. Right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? and i always say to my straight friends especially my non-trans friends i'm like when you're out with your lgbtqi folk yes you're invested in our culture and it's really fun and we we are we are the funniest people on earth i don't care what anyone says and for me True. black trans folk are the funniest people on earth yeah funniest and so yes you're out here enjoying our culture enjoying our presence enjoying us but you need to learn what to do when stuff goes sour
0: because that's where that's where
1: we that's where we need you do you know what i mean because i'm very happy to live in a world where i'm just surrounded by my lgbtqi friends like that for me is utopia but also i understand that i have allies what makes you an ally is not the joy that you share with me it's also the pain that you're willing to share with me too Uh, do you know what i mean you're so right do you consider yourself a role model I mean, I have to because that's what people say. So it makes me cringe. It's bloody cringy. Because when I go because ultimately I go home and some days I am bloody depressed, or I look in the mirror and I'm like, what is this? Or I'm living with dysphoria, or you know, I've, s- somebody's told me I've done something wrong, and I'm like, oh, I'm like gutted about that, or I'm not where I think, or where society tells me I should be. And so it's some it's hard sometimes to hear. But as my friends say, it's just like, not necessarily fake it till you make it that I'm insincere and not true. But sometimes you just have to take a deep breath and say, "Okay, that's that's what they're saying I am. Well, that's what I am. You are a role model,
0: 100 percent. I think you touched on fake it until you make it there. Mm. And obviously... I feel like that you, you have a mantra. You cannot be what you do not see.
1: Well done. Yeah, you got it right. Woo, woo, woo.
0: Yes. <laughs> which, which I stand by that. Yeah. And I kind of feel that I've faked it a lot. And I think as queer people, we have to,
1: by the way. There's a lot of, well, there's a lot of code switching, trying yeah. to fit into boxes yeah. that weren't designed for us, you know.
0: But you've, you've referenced young baby Ronks before yeah. <laughs> us what would Ronks now sat here in front of me with all this amazing <laughs> insight and the way that you speak is very academic but at no point does it ever come across as like you're you're superior yeah, 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 yeah never it's always on a level I, and yeah. I love that and I yeah. really respect and appreciate that about you so what would you say to young Ronks
1: now i would say it gets better <laughs> do you know what i mean but i would say i would say this feels like a rupaul moment this is baby ronks i have the what picture would say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why would you say to baby ronks i would say baby wrongs that people till the end of time will be committed to misunderstanding you mislabeling you Not necessarily centering your well-being. And that will be people in my work life, people in my private life, family, partners, blah, 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 blah. But there are people that have got your back. People often say, would you change anything that's ever happened? I would not change anything that's happened except for I wish I had useful therapy earlier. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I I I think people say that you need to have nonsense to realise what nonsense is. But I don't know. I think if I had maybe a black um, LGBTQI therapist when I was at university, I think I would have just experienced less bloody pain. Because the thing about pain is that I don't think it's something that is unlearned for me anyway, I think it's something that becomes more manageable because there are situations which can never take away. Like I'm estranged from my family and that is that. That's never going to change because to make it unchanged becomes unsafe for me. The pain that comes with not having family is something that is never going to go away. And there's a lot of LGBTQI people that live with that pain. What gets easier is that that you recognise that pain You know when that pain is driving you to do things which are not beneficial to your overall well-being. You recognise when you do those things and you understand why you're doing those things and you don't beat yourself up as much as you did when you were younger. And examples that I I use in my like partners, for a very long time, I just collected partners that filled that for me, when I look back on, uh, attempted to fill that mother role that I was lacking. And for a very long time, I used to beat myself up about it, used to be ashamed about it, used to be like, oh my God, you were such a mess, you were so toxic, blah, blah. Now I'm just like, yeah, I was toxic. I'm going to strive not to be toxic anymore. And if I am, I'm going to try and recognise it quicker. Yeah, I really just wish that I had therapy and role models that enabled me to be less ashamed of my mistakes earlier.
0: This was wonderful. (laughs) This was so good.
1: You know what I mean? I feel like you could
0: be a therapist. (laughs) Will you be my
1: therapist? (laughs) My Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But I just wish if we shared our vulnerabilities more, not in a like TMI way, but in a way that people could see that, do you know what? All of us have been through just hard times, man. I think. Do you know what I mean? Queer
0: people, I honestly think the tapestry of the queer universe is so. Wonderfully rich because of our pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of what we've been through, and because of how layered and complex Mm, mm, mm. and fractured it is. And I think that's why when you look at us creatively, what we achieve politically, socially, culturally, it's so magical because it comes from those
1: places. It comes from a place of wanting and knowing that you deserve better. And this is why I always say to people, know your audience and know who you share. Because everything we give to the world is energy, whether it's good, bad, anger, fear, whatever, all of that is energy and vibrations be clear and understand who deserves those vibrations. So because people would say to me, oh, Ronks, why don't you call like um, uh, one of those controversial lines and tell people about themselves? I'm like, because they don't deserve that energy. They don't. I am talking to people that are absolutely invested in not understanding me. What I want to do is, like I said before, is go to places where people have made space for my intersections, are paying for my time. And I know that what I give out is going to go to people who are collectively going to, or it's going to perpetuate and we collectively are going to make change. Do you know what I mean? We cannot go into systems and go, you must do this because as as single people change happens when we show people evidence and show them how things could be better. There is space for everybody. Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. We just live in the system just makes us believe that there is scarcity, that there's not enough for everybody. When really there is enough. Mm. There is enough. We just all have to be satisfied with having smaller portions of the pie.
0: Yeah. Ronks, I love you. This <laughs> no, so I just, good. I just talked too much. No. <laughs>